Have you ever woke up in the morning and felt like life was a little bit like the leftovers rotting in the fridge? Sort of like that crusty pizza down on the third shelf in the back from last Tuesday night? Or maybe like like it's a book that you've picked up and started to read a third of the way in. There's a lot of activity going on, but not really sure what any of it means. Don't really know who anyone is. The zip has been taken from life. Everything is bland, taste crusty. And so as you lay there in the bed and that sense of depression that things will never change and that resolve and resignation starts to wash over. What if we could just stop that? In fact, let's just stop right now. Silence is uncomfortable the further we go into it, isn't it? We could say, well, we're, we're social beings and we should be interacting, but it's deeper than that. We can't stand the silence. And why is that? What are we, what are we running from? What are we afraid of? Bills? The job that you hate? The job that you don't have? Maybe your marriage is going in the wrong direction and you don't know what to do about it? Obsessions, compulsions, anxieties, abusive relationships. Doesn't it feel like life has kind of got us stretched thin sometimes? Like if any one other thing happens... We could pop. We could lose it. We could go crazy. We could give in to the darkness. So what if the answer was actually in the silence, though? What if it were painfully obvious just dangling there before us? There was a moment of perfection. Exquisite perfection. God carefully crafted his tools of creation and he used heat and light and water and wind and time. And he created this beautiful, 
perfect garden. And within this garden, he crafted this perfect being. And he put within this being his spirit of life. And shortly, he made his counterpart, his companion, this exquisite beauty, this perfect companion for this man. And he put within her his spirit of life. It was perfect. They knew God. God knew them perfectly. And he gave them each something only he had, something that they needed to make it perfect. And it was going to either be their victory or their downfall. Choice. And they chose poorly. And the battle began. You see, man chose poorly and he had a free will to make the choice, but God wasn't about to let his spirit of life just go into the darkness. He loved these two people. He knew them. He knew them in every possible way. They were his children. He loved them. There was no way God would abandon his masterpiece. And so the battle for the hearts of men has been raging ever since that day. And wouldn't that explain so much? Don't you feel the assault against your heart most every day? And isn't it telling? Everything in your life has been a struggle for your heart. We do, in fact, live in a love story. It is set in battle. And the battle is for your heart. Think about that for a second. Isn't almost every opposition that comes against you, both in small and large ways, meant to make you lose heart? And what would it look like if we did lose heart? Wouldn't things get crusty? I'm just going to pop these all service just to keep everyone's attention. I'm not really. Wouldn't life grow dim if we lost heart? Wouldn't it just boil down to breathing? Wouldn't we just degenerate down to becoming animals, just living by instinct? Like the battles can't be won, like life is not worth fighting on. And we're afraid of the silence because if we go there, it might all come crashing in on us we might realize just how bad things have gotten. And so we run from distraction to distraction, from addiction to addiction, from idol to idol, trying to find something that looks like life to give us some sort of comfort for a little while each day. And somewhere buried down deep inside, we know there must be 
more. There's got to be more than this. But we don't know where to find it, so we turn to the imposters. It may be food. television relationships family sex exercise shopping hyperventilating while blowing up balloons in a public speaking setting <clears throat> But what if we listened to the silence? Something is there in the silence. It's that pregnant pause as the sun peeks up over the horizon, coming from the ocean to bring a new dawn. And yet, even with its promise, we know this is another day to fight on. And it's once again going to be a battle for our hearts. And the silence can also be the sound of death. And we may not want to linger there too long. There was a homily discovered written in Greek. Homily is a small little sermon or writing. Passed down from the early church fathers from the 300s AD. This is the time when a person could say, my grandfather as a little boy saw the master teaching on a hillside. This is a time when a person could say, my father walked with men who were appointed by the Apostle Paul. This is before things got all organized. And it's been passed down throughout church history. And I want to share it with you this morning. Something strange is happening. There is a great silence on earth today. A great silence and stillness. The whole earth keeps silence because the king is asleep. The earth trembled and is still because God has fallen asleep in the flesh. And he has raised up all who have slept ever since the world began. God has died in the flesh and hell trembles with fear. He has gone to search for our first parent as for a lost sheep, greatly desiring to visit those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death. He has gone to free from sorrow the captives, Adam and Eve, he who is both God and the son of Eve. The Lord approached them, bearing the cross, the weapon that had won him the victory. At the sight of him, Adam, the first man he had created, struck his breast in terror and cried out to everyone, My Lord, be with you all. And Christ answered him, And with your spirit. He took him by the hand and raised him up, saying, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I am your God, who for your sake have become your son. 
Out of love for you and for your descendants, I now, by my own authority, command all who are held in bondage to come forth. All who are in darkness to be enlightened. All who are sleeping to arise. I order you, O sleeper, to awake. I did not create you to be held a prisoner. Rise from the dead, for I am the life of the dead. Rise up, work of my hands. You who were created in my image, rise. Let us leave this place, for you are in me and I am in you. Together, we form only one person and we cannot be separated. For your sake, I, your God, became your son. I, the Lord, took the form of a slave. I, whose name is above the heavens, descended to the earth and beneath the earth. For your sake, for the sake of man, I became like a man without help, free among the dead. For the sake of you who left a garden, I was betrayed in a garden. See on my face the spittle I received in order to restore you to the life I once breathed into you. See there the marks of the blows I received in order to refashion your warped nature in my image. On my back, see the marks of the scourging I endured to remove the burden of sin that weighs upon your back. See my hands nailed firmly to a tree for you who once wickedly stretched out your hand to a tree. I slept on the cross and a sword pierced my side for you who slept in paradise and brought forth Eve from your side. My side has healed the pain in yours. My sleep will rouse you from your sleep. The sword that pierced me has sheathed the sword that was turned against you. Rise. Let us leave this place. The enemy led you out of the earthly paradise. I will not restore you to that paradise, but I will enthrone you in heaven. I forbade you the tree that was only a symbol of life, but see, I who am life itself am now one with you. The throne formed by cherubim awaits you. Its bearers, swift, And eager, the bridal chamber is adorned. The banquet is ready. The eternal dwelling places are prepared. The treasure houses of all good things lie open. The kingdom of heaven has been prepared for you from all eternity. What would resurrection look like if it were real? Seriously, resurrection is the restoring to life of that 
which is dead, only God has the authority and the power to do something like that. And yet he has placed his spirit of life within man. He has put eternity in our hearts. Eternity is something that we really rarely consider. We're so tethered to what's going on right now. And yet it seems like our hearts are assaulted on every side, and so the only hope we have is for something greater in whatever comes next. And sometimes we resign ourselves that our lot is going to be hopelessness, and yet somewhere in this silence we can hear eternity in our hearts. We know there must be more because There is, but we just don't know where to fight for it or how to win it. But that's the answer, isn't it? It's not something we can fight for or win. What is the purpose of man? Bills? Productivity? Crisis management, right? Sin management, is this, is this what life is about? Man was placed in a garden of perfection. And he was known and known by God. He was allowed to become whatever he wanted to be under the loving care of the Father. Man's original purpose was to know and be known by God. Not the life we've been leading, right? For mankind, it all did begin in a garden. And isn't it ironic that in our scripture today, Mary comes to a garden tomb and finds it empty? Right? And so she's very sad about it, and she turns to go, and she runs into Jesus. And she doesn't recognize him, and she mistakes him for what? A gardener. Maybe that's not ironic. Spiritual death entered the world in a garden, spiritual life was restored to man. In a garden. So the question that remains is this. What do we do with the resurrection? Do we exchange Easter bunnies and chocolate and dress up really pretty once a year on a fine spring morning and go to church and sing songs about the sweet by and by and a resurrected Savior that's about as much of a fairy tale in our normal lives as anything we ever read as a child? Is that the resurrection? Or has everything changed? Because if everything changes, 
at the resurrection, then why do we live from distraction to distraction, from crisis to crisis, from addiction to addiction? If the resurrection is a reality, then the restoration of all things is upon us. Jesus said, I've come to create all things new. If that's true, and the resurrection is what it claims to be, then this vast chasm that was between God and man was filled in. The barrier was erased. Our relationship with God is restored as it was for Adam and Eve. We have the same right to come into the presence of God that they did. And God put man in charge of this planet to steward and subdue it and take care of the garden. And if Christ has come to create all things new and the resurrection is what it says it is, then we are, again, in partnership with God. On the cross, the last thing that Jesus said before he died was, it is accomplished. It is finished. Right? And so when he rose from the dead, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. His work and what he had come to do was accomplished. Our work is not accomplished. He left us with some instructions. Go into all the world and make disciples. Our work isn't accomplished. The work of the resurrection, our partnership with God, isn't finished. And so we're here. How will the restoration of all things happen in this world if not through us? We claim that we are the body of Christ. It's hands and feet in this world. We pray things like, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How's that going to happen? Is this something that we just pray for as if Jesus is going to come back here and do it and we're going to get to stand by and watch Him do it? Is God just going to show up with a host of angels and set all things new? And we get to stand by and go, bravo, God, that was awesome. Or has all things been restored to us so that we can finish what was started in the first place? And will that ever happen if we live these lives of distraction? Is it even possible I heard this story this past week about a man in his 70s, a very wealthy, very successful man, a man who had accomplished much and had great influence, and a good man, a man that believes in Christ, a believer. And he was praying and asking God, what is the next season of my life supposed to look like? And he felt like God told him, In this final chapter of your life, I want you to go all out. When I was in high school, I ran on the cross-country team. And we trained and trained and trained. And what the skill that we were developing was, was one of endurance. 
So when you go to a cross-country match and you're running that race, it's about pacing until the final half mile or the final quarter of a mile. And then you give whatever you have left to that race. You run as fast as you can and as hard as you can toward the finish line. And so I've been thinking about that a lot this week. Is that what life is supposed to look like? Is life about risk management and doing good and pacing yourself until you know that you've sort of reached the final turn toward home and then you give your all and sprint toward the end? Is that what life is supposed to look like? And if you juxtapose that against the life of Christ, I find that maybe it's a little bit skewed, it's a little bit different. Jesus seems to be an all-or-nothing kind of guy. He seems to be all in all the time. He seems like what he wants more than anything is to be in the presence of his Father and doing what his Father is doing in this world. That's what he seems to be modeling for us. In fact, he's so close and so dialed into it that he says, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The things that you see me do, you see the Father do So he seems to be completely invested. He seems to be all in. It seems to be all or nothing. And he was certainly all in when he walked into Jerusalem knowing he was never coming out. Knowing that he would be executed in a very gruesome and brutal way. So what is the resurrection actually supposed to do with us? What does the resurrection actually mean? It means this, this life that we've lived. We don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to live like this. This doesn't have to be what life looks like. The resurrection changes everything. And we know this, and we speak of this, and we talk to each other about this, and we use a lot of Christian language to describe how much we know about this, and yet it's very hard to arrange for it. We can't kind of keep it on the same path for more than a week, and then we're just back to the same grind. Why is that? If the resurrection changes everything then why can't we seem to find our way into resurrection life? And is resurrection life even for something like now? Because when we think of things like eternal life, normally we're thinking of them in terms of what comes next after this life. What is in this life is to sort of figure it out and make sure that we find ourselves in good shape so that in the next life we have eternal life. But that's not the way Jesus seems to talk about things. He says, I have come to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. I have come to make all things new. I have come to seek and save what was lost. And there's never a, and you get that after you die, caveat. He seems to be talking about now. 
If God has placed eternity in our hearts and we are truly eternal beings, then from the moment we were created, we were in eternity. We're just passing from eternity to eternity. It's never going to be anything else but eternal if that's true, if that's how we are created. So why can't we have eternal life now? Why can't it be now? The answer is a sinister one. It's because we want it on our own terms. We want to create it by ourselves. And it's killing us. And so we live distracted lives. There is only one way to resurrection life. There has only ever been one way to resurrection life. Right now and in whatever comes next. And that is the way of the cross. We must be crucified with Christ so that it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives within us. That means this life that we've been trying to arrange for is not ours. We must die to ourselves. The hardest thing to do. Die to the distractions. Die to the addictions. Die to the idols that we've bowed our knee in worship to. Die to the false things that we've turned to for life and comfort. Die to everything. But Christ crucified and Him risen. There is no other way to eternal life. And eternal life is not about what comes next. We can have eternal life now. We just have to die to ourselves. So as it was in the beginning, so it is now. It boils down to the one thing that God puts within each of us. The one thing that will be our victory or our undoing. Choice. We have the choice. And so if you have never been a part of the resurrection life of Christ before, then I invite you, make this the day. And if you haven't been living the resurrection life, although you know Jesus, and you can't figure out how these things are not working out, how they're supposed to, then I invite you to the way of the cross. It is your choice. We each get the choice. It's ours to lay hold of. But God will not give it to us on our own terms. He won't allow us to create a personal heaven because that will become our personal hell. It will only come on His terms. Because he is the only one that knows the way to life. 
He is the only one with the power over life and death. And so it boils down to a choice. And so it's a personal choice that we make, whether we're going to lay hold of this life. But it's far more than that. The stakes are incredibly high. The cost is severe. We're left here with a job to do. And we're left here in a ravaged planet. And it doesn't take any effort to find brokenness. You don't have to walk much more than a hundred yards in any direction to find it. And yet we're claiming the body of Christ is who we are. So, does the resurrection change anything for you? The cost is high, the stakes are high, and the choice is ours. Shut the fuck 